Welcome to another episode of Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This summer, we are talking about the book Identity Theft and what it means to reclaim the truth of who we are in Christ. I'm Erin Mills, and joining Amber and me today to talk about chapters 7 and 8, what it means to be beautiful servants, are Sarah Williams and Ann Morris. Ladies, please introduce yourselves and tell our listeners a little bit about your family and your job and hobbies. Thanks, Erin. I'm Ann, and this book has made me realize that I've been putting my identity in all the wrong things. I would tell you that I'm married to Byron, and I'm the mother of five, and our 18th grandchild is on the way, and I try really hard to keep a home and um, just keep things going. But all those things are fleeting and passing. But that is what occupies my day. It's a good description, man. I like how you're thinking about saying this is who I am, even though we're going to talk about who we are on a deeper level. Those are sweet things about who you are. Um, My name is Sarah Williams. My husband is Chris. He is the pastor of the young adults here at First Pres. And we have three kids, our almost six-year-old Naomi, a four-year-old named Mila, and an almost two-year-old named Zeke. I am a stay-at-home mom and a CrossFit coach. All right. On that note, first things first, what was the first fitness class you remember participating in and what did you think of the experience? So my first fitness class was BFS, Bigger, Faster, Stronger. I don't know if y'all have heard of that. Um, I had to take it in high school and it was me and one of my friends from the cheerleading team. And then the rest was the girls basketball team and they were really intense really good, like state champions every year. Bigger, faster, stronger. (laughs) Yes, yes, bigger, faster, stronger than me. And I was so intimidated. And, you know, I did cheerleading, but I didn't really do like, I mean, they did the drills where you like run around the cones and like through the ladders. And anyways, it's just, it's kind of funny because I absolutely love CrossFit and weightlifting now, but back then I was just, I was so worried. I was like, I'm going to end up being like a bodybuilder if I do this class. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be like really intense like them. But it, it didn't turn out like that. <laughs> it didn't turn out that way? No, mm-hmm. no. I'm not a bodybuilder, <laughs> believe it or not. CrossFit <laughs> is intimidating to me, though. I will say CrossFit is serious business. Yes. It does seem, yeah. It's, like, it's, it's for, not, It's no. for the bigger, faster, stronger folks. No, it's not. It's for regular people. <laughs> That's funny. You did yours in high school. Mine also was in high school. A fun friend and I realized that we weren't 13 anymore and our bodies needed some work on them. And we joined a ladies fitness center. I don't remember the name of it. And it had various machines you could use to work with. The funniest one was the belt that you would get in and it would vibrate no, you. Wow. Remember those? I don't, I don't, no, I don't, I don't know about that one. It would like shake you from side to side. Yes, it would just shake you really hard. And um, one day we were on our machine and we were watching an older lady and she got on her bench and she'd lay down to do some arm work. And the first time in my life, I watched hair fall off of a head. Oh, her, a wig. her wig fell off on the floor. Oh, wow. And... 
the the vibrating machine had nothing on it. These two giggling teenagers who could not quit shaking in laughter. That hair can fall off of the head, <laughs> even in the exercise class. So that's what I remember about it. That is funny. Uh, that is something I have not seen. Me either. I think I'm a late bloomer. I feel like the first. I grew up playing tons of sports, so lots of organized athletics. But never like a group fitness class. I think I joined the croc back in, I don't know, like 2012-ish. And maybe I was in a class with Becca Phelan. And you were like, uh, Amber was, uh, what do you call it, training? Yeah, probably. I don't know. You Uh were, yeah. Yeah. I guess getting your spin certificate or something. And I remember being impressed. Like Becca knew my name right away. Like she was cheering for me. And I'm in the spin class at this ridiculous hour of the morning. But yeah, that was my first group fitness class. Well, mine was cycling, too. So you mentioned Becca. She was is an instructor at a gym here in town, goes to our church as well. And my first class was not with her. It was with somebody else. But I remember taking hers and really loving it. She likes to ride her bike outside, and I like to ride my bike outside as well. If I could choose, I'd rather ride on the road, but it's much more expedient, and it's safer, of mm, course, to yes. do it inside. So I do some of both. But I enjoyed the music, I liked it loud. I like it kind of dark and I like a sense of competitiveness. I am mm-hmm. too competitive for my own good, honestly. Uh, but I just got into it and then decided I wanted to teach it and why not get paid to work out because that's double bonus. And so I've been doing cycling classes for a long time. And I'll say that I think I have a love hate relationship with exercise because I really do enjoy it naturally. Like I like to uh, move my body. I like challenges. Like I said, I like some competition. I like to be outside. But, and so I really enjoy it, but I don't enjoy it when I'm really wanting exercise to deliver something that it can't deliver for me, which is some type of a figure and outer image that I can be proud of, secure in, uh, one that others find attractive. So, you know, I suppose I could say that I, I want, I want exercise to make me beautiful. And it's been a long time struggle for me. And it's helpful for me to remember that it's a process of sanctification, because we're going to talk about beauty today. And just to be remembered, reminded that our first chapter of this book of identity theft talked about the fact that if we can understand that our freedom from sin is in, in some sense is progressive, we've been freed absolutely completely done deal from the penalty of sin but we're being freed from the power of sin. And that means we are still battling. And that's encouraging to me because I've been battling this false idea of beauty and all the the, um, dark paths it can lead me on for a long time. And I think one of of the things that really was a wake-up call for me a few years back was just the realization that I no longer knew how to appreciate real beauty. Like my view of beauty had become so narrowly focused on me and what I look like externally and comparing that to so many things around me that I thought, man, I, I don't go outside and enjoy a beautiful sunset or I don't see a beautiful woman or various you know, types of beautiful people and appreciate the variety of beauty. I've lost beauty um, in, in favor of a false idea of it. So I'm excited about what we're talking about today because it just restores a grander vision of what beauty is. So today we're talking from chapter seven and the title of that is Beautiful clothed in splendor, and the author is Trillian Newbell. And the verse that is attached to this chapter is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and it says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, 
which in God's sight is very precious. In Christ, we have imperishable beauty. But Trillia points out in this chapter that there's three common lies that threaten to pervert the beauty that's ours and instead lead us into sin and captivity, like I've been experiencing. And number one is the lie is the outward appearance is all important and it leads to idolatry. We worship it. Uh, Number two is I must measure up. And that's that whole comparison game. And it leads us to the sins of envy, greed, and pride. And the third one is I have to be beautiful to be acceptable or desirable, which is just that fear of other people that need to be accepted and to have people's approval. So ladies, let's talk a little bit about how y'all are personally tempted to believe one or more of these lies and what sort of sin do you find that leading you into? This chapter was so convicting and eye-opening to me when I see these things um, printed out and I, I realized that I really struggle with striving to measure up. Mm-hmm. And that involves both the first um, outward appearance is so important and also the third point that I'm afraid of other people. They won't accept me. They they will not say that I have anything that's desirable. So as we strive, as I strive to measure up, oh, it just, it creates such envy. It creates such self-focus and greed of wanting more. And really all it does is an endless striving. You, you never never measure up. I never measure up. And that is complete bondage and slavery instead of the freedom that our Lord offers mm-hmm. to us. I like how you bring that out, that it never ends. Never ends. And I've thought before, if I can just get that feeling, if I can just fit into those jeans, if I can just lose five pounds, if I can just whatever that thing is about, then I'll feel okay. Mm-hmm. about. But it, you never do. You never yeah. do. You lose five pounds, it doesn't matter. You fit into the jeans. It's momentary gratification that leads you into further bondage. Yes. I also thought that maturity as we grow older, you know, we kind of lay aside some of these lesser things. Yeah. And I found that's not true. It's still, I want to measure up. Yeah. There is something about that in that. If that's what you've been looking to your whole life to think that that's going to change when you get older. It no, won't. it doesn't. Right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Darn. I was hoping <laughs> a couple years down the road, I just won't struggle anymore or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I can see how each of these lies honestly tempts me at times, but uh, I mostly relate with the lie that appearance is all important. Um, I can see where I often elevate how I look above other things and there's just this consuming nature of feeling like I want to control it all. Like you were mm-hmm. saying, like if it's not one thing, it's something else. And just this compulsiveness with like always trying to fix yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the book, Trillia was saying how our idolatry of beauty can lead to emotional responses. And that really hit home because it's one thing to look in the mirror and notice things that maybe you want to change, but it's different that you can leave that space still just 
ruminating about your quote unquote flaws, um, just allowing it to steal your joy. So I can see at times where it affects my mood. Like I can feel grumpy when I'm just really overcritical of myself. So allowing it to be elevated over other things that are actually significant. So I would say the sin here is idolatry, just really dethroning God and idolizing these made up standards of what I think beauty really is. I like how you, you point um, to the fact that how your, what your emotions are about it and the degree to which they go, I guess, um, is an indicator of how much you're counting on that. And I was thinking of this, (laughs) this time that, um, my husband and I are going to go for a bike ride and I, the day before I bought some biking shorts and it was like, you know how you sometimes feel like you have skinny days and fat days and it could be like one day and the next day and they're exactly the same. There's no logical chance, you know, but you just feel that way. So the day I bought the the biking shorts was a skinny day and the day that I was going to wear them on the bike and we were biking with a group of people was a fat day, but I didn't know until I put the biking shorts on and I looked in the mirror and I just was so like the sense of shame just was just like Mm. coated me. Mm. And I just was so embarrassed in that moment. And then I became Mm. angry and then I became sad. And my husband walked in. He's like, are you ready to go? I'm like, I cannot go anywhere. <gasps> Look at my legs. And I like lay down. On, I mean, it's embarrassing. Lay down on the bed and almost like a tantrum type of just so undone. And he, I remember him looking at me like you, an alien has taken over my wife's body. <laughs> but, but it really was this idea yeah. like, wow, that much emotion is attached to this and what I've, what I've given that. And then, but what it's required of me, like that promise of beauty did not free me. It didn't give me a deeper sense of who I am. It shames me and um, exposes me and, and, and and it makes me its servant. So anyway, I thought about that when you're saying that with emotions. Mm. That's true. I mean, I feel like same with y'all. I can see myself in any of those three lies that we are tempted to believe, but I think because I know it's wrong and probably one of my root sins is self-righteousness. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do those because I know they're wrong. So I'm just not going to play the game and just like try to remove myself, which is his own for- sort of pride and idolatry. So I end up with the same root sin- sins, even though it's like I may declare that I'm not in the game. It's like, that's so fake. There's no real freedom there. There's no real joy of receiving the beauty that the Lord has imparted to us to receive it's me trying to do what is right, which is fruitless. Yeah. You're not controlling it by succumbing to it. You're control, trying to control it by um, ignoring it or, right. you know, Oh, I'm going to do what's right it. in my own strength. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. hilarious. No, yeah. it's not going to work out. Yeah. Well, um, Trillia talks about the fact that to help correct these lies and the sins that they lead us to, it, it helps us to have an understanding of our beauty that comes from God's word. So, you know, we're saying hey, we don't want to capitulate to uh, the lies about beauty and we don't want to ignore beauty altogether, but we want to understand what is it? What does the Lord say about it? What does he mean? And so it also helps to know from the Lord's word, from God's word, what beautiful is. And then also just what is beautiful in general. And she uses a Merriam Webster definition of beauty that says that beauty is the quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or thing that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurably exalts the mind or the spirit. And I love that, like exalts, lifts up, not brings down, but lifts up. And so in his word, God reveals himself to be the creator of all beauty. And so everything that delights our senses, exalts our minds and our spirits, it's of his making. 
But as the verse that I read earlier states, the beauty that God tells us, women in particularly, um, that's precious to him is the beauty that comes not from what we put on ourselves or from you know what's on our outside, but from what is inside of us, particularly a gentle and quiet spirit. And I think oftentimes a gentle and quiet spirit could be misunderstood uh, as sort of maybe like a personality trait or a temperament as somebody that's quiet a lot and sort of shy and reserved. And But that's from the context of that passage. If you were to read that, that's not what it's describing. It's using it uses an illustration of a woman in the Bible who's very courageous. Um, she had a very courageous spirit, but it was one that was gentle and quiet because it was trusting in the beautiful promises of a beautiful God. So as women, we become beautiful when our lives showcase the beautiful one in whom we trust. He created beauty, external beauty, internal beauty. He is beautiful. The sum of all of his attributes, his holiness, his righteousness, his purity, all those things are beautiful and they're reflected in so many ways. When we surrender ourselves to the beautifully pure and righteous Savior, Jesus Christ, and when we continue to grow in his image, then we do reflect his beauty, both outwardly and inwardly. Um, It talks about the fact that as citizens in heaven, we're awaiting a Savior who's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And I love this quote. Trillia says, all right, yes, God will make everything new, including us. He will transform our bodies, the ones we are pulling and tucking and starving in an effort to make them beautiful. They will be beautiful pure and glorious when he returns, unimaginably beautiful. We will never die again. Our beauty will never fade. And most importantly, we will be without sin. So ladies, as y'all think about beauty, and if you you think about the fact that it's meant to delight, and it's meant to exalt, and it's showcased in so many different ways by different women. I love this. We all display beauty in, in such a variety of ways. That's one of, to me, the worst lies of that cultural idea is it's one thing only, very narrow view. But who's someone that you know who stewards beauty well by using it to honor the beautiful and beauty-making creator? Yeah, my mom comes to mind. And it's kind of funny because in a physical sense, she doesn't really care about beauty whatsoever, like doesn't really care about makeup. She doesn't dye her hair. She doesn't really care about clothes, which is really funny because I like love all of those things. I'm like... (laughs) girly girl to the max. But um, this story came to mind just this past weekend. She was here visiting and Chris had his ordination service and our littlest one was sick. And so I'm panicking. I'm like, what are we going to do with the kids? And so she had driven into town to see Chris. And so she's like, I'll stay back. I'll stay with Zeke. And just her sweet spirit. It was like, it wasn't a burden to her. She wasn't like grumpy about it. It was just she really does seek to to serve, and it was just her kindness to all of us. I was like, wow, she really just, she's so pleasant and gracious that I'm like, that really is beautiful rather than, like you're saying, this narrow view of like looks and has to be a certain way. Hmm. Isn't it amazing that your senses even can pick up on that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like it calming really, almost. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. like, it's just to be in her presence. I'm mm. like, but if I told her that, she'd be like, what? I'm not beautiful. I don't care about blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, no, your spirit, mom, your spirit's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. That was great. I feel like my mom, same thing. But when I was thinking about this um, person, I feel like, you know, when we talked about Jasmine Holmes' fruitful chapter 
and how the Proverbs 31 woman is kind of an amalgamation of women. And so I was thinking about all the women that show me beauty in my life. And it's not just one person that nails it. Although, you know, my mom's pretty high up on the list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's just like the, the, the person who um, makes beautiful music and writes beautiful lyrics, the one who writes stories with the redemptive threats that remind us of our redemption, the friend that helps me see the blind spots that's bold enough to tell me, Erin, that's not right. Like, I can see your sin, and I guess you can't see it, but let me just reflect a little Jesus on you so that to help you see it. Or the friend that holds you while you're brokenhearted and mm-hmm. offers you the comfort of Christ and... So yeah, it's just, I think I can think of so many friends or even one more thing. Um, the person like you were talking about that lives sacrificially and shows me how to be a servant because that's not my nature just invites me into that life. And so, yeah, those, all those people kind of stuck together. It's just like, man, I have some really beautiful people in my life. Mm. I love that amalgamation. That is a good word. (laughs) Not gonna be honest. Or gonna be honest. I don't know what that word is. <laughs> and, I'm, and I say that I'm like, did I pronounce that correctly? <laughs> well, when I saw the question friend, I I really thought, okay, what friend? And I met this friend first on the page of a book. It was written by her mother-in-law, and she wrote of her daughter-in-law's beauty, whether she was stepping out of the Pacific Ocean or stepping out for a date with her husband, how beautiful she was. And I thought, hmm, that is quite a compliment to be written about you. And in God's wonder and kindness, I met this this lady 20 years later. I stared at her as she stood in a long line of people, and she greeted each person so warmly with her smile so intentionally with her greeting, she was beautiful, smiling, greeting everyone. She lives life with a, I'm so glad to be with you, mm-hmm. instead of, you should really be glad to be with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've now known her for another 20 years, and yes, she's careful to keep her weight in a certain bracket. She plans her clothes for a trip. That is not at all what makes her deeply beautiful. It is the way she so loves God and how she loves every person that he brings across her path, Uh, whether it's the clerk at Kroger or the waitress at our table. She greets them with the love of God, and that is what makes her beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like picture the type of woman that you're describing. And I think, you know, even of those women who you mentioned, she does keep her way at a particular place or she plans her clothes for a vacation. And, and sometimes when I'm at my worst, I can criticize because I know what I'm like when I'm seeking those things out that I assume that other people are the same way when they um, put effort towards those types of things. But to be freed up to, to showcase the beauty that you naturally have and it draws other people in like a, an outwardly beautiful person that says, I'm so glad to be with you invites you into that beauty and you reap the rewards of that beauty. It's not so much that you have to covet it or compare yourself to it or feel put down by it, but you're drawn into it. And you can have beautiful women who, who will 
hold their hands out, stiff arm, and you know that beauty is, it's a cold beauty. It's not a welcoming beauty. It's not something you can enter in and experience and taste. So loved how you described that. And all of y'all are are touching on the fact that part of that beauty that we see in one another and and, and, in the women around us is that desire to be of service, to offer what we have to other people. And that leads us right into our next chapter, uh, chapter eight, and it's entitled Servant and Reaping a Reward. Betsy Childs Howard writes this chapter, and the verse that's connected to it is Colossians chapter three, verses 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So being a servant, we see from this verse, we see all throughout Scripture, it's highly commended in the Bible. But sometimes our understanding of what it means to serve can sometimes be riddled with misconceptions and resentment. So Betsy says, while we may agree that Christians should should be servant-hearted, no one wants to be treated like a servant. And Anne's shaking her head nope. like, no, we get that. We don't. I'm not their servant. We mutter under our breath when we feel taken for granted by our family, boss, or our co- co-workers. And we're not. And that was surprising to me when she said that. And we're not. And I love this next part. Servants are employed by one master, but serve many others who are not their masters. And it helps me to remember that this is still Betsy saying that this, it helps me to remember that in terms of spiritual service, my only master is God. He has given me neighbors to serve for his sake. Pleasing other people is a good thing, but when I serve for their approval rather than God's, I put them in the place of the master and forget my true identity, which is a servant of God. And then Charles Spurgeon has this quote. He says, man is born to be a servant and a servant he must be. Who shall be his master? That is the question. So ladies, as you listen to that quote from Betsy, and as you hear that quote from Charles Spurgeon, can you identify like with what sort of negative thoughts or attitudes can crop up in your mind and heart when you serve other people as if they were your master? It's such a good reminder to remember that the Lord is our master and he's a good king and that he's given us, he's dignified us by giving us work and laboring in his fields. Um, So yeah, but when we're at our worst, or when I'm at my worst, I'm thinking I'm not getting the recognition that's due me, or the people are taking advantage of me, or all I do is clean up behind these kids. (laughs) Bunch of ingrates. Yes. (laughs) And that is true. All we do is clean up. So yeah, I think that's when I'm at my worst. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just feeling like I'm taken for granted. I do all of this. You just keep making the mess. I just keep oh, cleaning yeah. it up. I'm just no here to clean up your mess. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Leave mm-hmm. it laying in the floor. Mom will get it. <laughs> <laughs> Until I say, who do you think is going to pick that up? Hmm? Who do you think is going to pick that up? <laughs> yeah, I, that backfired. I said that. My kids were like, you will. Oh, I'm like, they're cheering for you though. Yeah. No, not the same. Not the same. <laughs> yeah, kids funny. don't get sarcasm. No. Oh, that's funny. Not at all. <laughs> I thought about this, and my thought, what I tell myself when I'm feeling sorry for myself is nobody cares about the servant. They don't care about the servant. Um, it's just, what are you going to do next for us? Mm. Is there dessert with this meal? Is, you know, what, what are we going to do next? And that's such a wrong way to think. 
and so I was glad to think on this um, because a good master would care for their servant, wouldn't they? They would care well. They are very dependent on this one who serves them. That's so extremely different when we're serving the Lord God. There is no better master, as you said, that we, he does care for his servants. He's always noticing. He's, mm. he's always, he enables us. He even encourages us in our servant, the ways we serve. In fact, you know, as you said, he gives us the dignity of working for him. Um, I think it's one of the most amazing things about God is that he allows people to labor with him, for him, and somehow he gets his work done. With, with all the mess that we are, he, he gets his work done through his, through his servants. So it was good to be reminded, yes, I only have one master, mm-hmm. and I do well to sit with him and ask mm-hmm. him, what's, what's your plan for me? Well, and you're bringing out the point that he cares for you. Yes. That that feeling when you're serving other people who may not actually care as much as you would like them to, some do, some don't, is that thought that nobody cares for me in the midst of this ser- in the midst of this service, but the master you're describing cares for you he does. in the midst That's of right. your service. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's definitely a resentment there when I feel unappreciated. I think it's really easy to holler out, I love to serve, but I have to ask myself, do I love to serve when I don't get praise? Um, I definitely face this a lot with little people. My two-year-old doesn't know how to say thank you when I change his diaper (laughs) or when I give him his milk cup or when I make his lunch. And my older girls aren't looking me in the eye saying, you know what, mom, I appreciate all you do for us and our family. It's more like, hey, mom, I want a different snack because this one is yucky. (laughs) But does that make my service any less significant? No, it still matters. I think my motivation just has to change. My service to my family can't be contingent on appreciation or not. And I can't allow that resentment to build up. Mm. Yeah, resentment is a real problem in it I mean for me it is just to think I'm going along serving thinking I'm doing a good thing and before I know I'm really ticked off at the people I'm serving yeah it's really like isolating (laughs) yeah Um, it is isolating or lonely just to be like poor me no one really understands all that Mm -hmm. I do or Mm -hmm. just that craving for like praise or affirmation Mm -hmm. can be real exhausting because people can't meet it Mm -hmm. well that's the important part as you said you know people can't meet it yeah um, because I was kind of surprised in this chapter that she points out the fact that that we're actually created to serve for reward and that oftentimes we try to convince ourselves that it's better to be those who serve um, without any regard for reward or praise and but that we're, we're not created for that. And I thought, that's interesting. You don't hear that very often. But she's making the point that Scripture actually promises reward. Uh, for service to the Lord. And I guess it's kind of like what you're saying, Anne, that your master sees and he cares and he appreciates, that our master sees and cares and appreciates. So a couple of verses for that. Um, in Colossians 3, chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, it says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, 
not by way of eye service as people pleasers. You know, that's what we're talking about. Sometimes we want people to acknowledge and to appreciate and to say thank you. Uh, But with sincerity, instead with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So they're just very plainly, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. So that's not salvation. That's not, we don't serve in order to gain God's favor, um, to um, take ourselves from out, from underneath his wrath. But we serve, we've received an inheritance of this new person that we are in Christ. And we've been given these gifts and this opportunity to serve. And we serve um, in light of that inheritance we know that we will receive and how full that is. Uh, Jesus also said, uh, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Those are two words, the honor. He will be honored. You will receive a reward, an inheritance. And um, Betsy gives an illustration in this book, and she doesn't apply it exactly this way, but it made me think about this. She's talking about in Downton Abbey where there's a scene where two people are making a cake. I can't remember their exact names, but one's the um, cook of the kitchen. She makes cakes all the time. And one's the daughter of whoever owns the estate. And so, of course, she never makes a cake, right? So she comes to make this cake, and the cook has to obviously probably tell her, lead her step-by-step everything to do. If it were not for the cook, there's no way that she could make the cake. But when the mother comes and sees this cake that was made, she's so delighted. And uh, and you just think, you know, it's kind of how our service is. Like we bring delight um, to serving people, but it's because the Lord had in us through his spirit allows us to serve in those ways that he's given us the privilege to do. And yet he gives us honor. He delights in our service. Other people delight in it, but he delights in it. I just think that's so crazy um, that we are participants in something like that. So Betsy says, you know, once we know that we're serving the Lord rather than men and women, then we can stop worrying about whether we are underappreciated. We can stop focusing on whether our efforts enhance our image, and then we can start concentrating on how we can best meet the needs of our neighbors. So y'all, how does knowing that God sees your labors and rewards them encourage you in the mundane hidden places in which you serve? It makes me exhale, honestly. Like there's this sigh of relief that it is seen and it does matter, and it takes the pressure off of trying to prove something. I, as I said before, I feel like this a lot in motherhood. Um, sometimes the moment Chris walks in the door, I'm like, hey, I did six loads of laundry and I changed four dirty diapers and I vacuumed and I took the trash out and I got everyone down for a nap. Like I need him to affirm that all my work was valid and it matters, which, you know, sometimes he does that and it's truly helpful to have that reminder. But my soul validation cannot come from him because he can't bear it. And I have a better model in Christ. So just reminding myself that he laid down his life for others without the acknowledgement or praise. Mm. It encourages me when I think about how uh, just ordinary God made this world and how much care little children require, even a family. Amber knows that it's not just little children who need lots of mothering and meals and and it's every single day you get mm-hmm. up and do it again. And even though our God is so extraordinary, he's so out of this world, 
he made this world a very a very ordinary place where there are lots of chances to serve. And so that's just what we do. And it, it is so different when it's done for his smile instead of hoping somebody else will pat me on the back or um but to know that he he sees mm-hmm. and the little ones are not ordinary to him are they they're his very special creation and what a privilege it is to get to care for other people and the freedom of doing that I'm just reminded as you say that the freedom of doing that because we know how much we're cared for you know you could continue to listen to this and think oh I'm not very pleasing to God because I don't do A, B, and C. But to think, the Lord is so pleased with me. He has lavished his love on me. Through the work of his son, he has brought me near. Everything I stand in need of, he delights to give to me. Therefore, I can serve. And and he delights in that service. And there's honor and, and like we said, um, the reward of an inheritance that comes with that. But to start out at the place where you're already lavishly loved and provided for and to serve out of that instead of trying to serve to get that is is yes is a relief too. Yes. And that's a total game changer. And I love that even thinking about how we are promised honor and reward in our ultimate reunion with Jesus. And there is that exhale, even thinking about that. But also, I think when our eyes are open to God's goodness all around us, we see that He is satisfying our souls now. Like He delights in giving us good gifts, and He delights in meeting us here, here and now, not just waiting for that ultimate reward in heaven. So I think when our eyes are on and we're paying attention and we're serving from a place of love, we can see that He is taking care of us even now. Mm, I like that even now. Just that reminder that Jesus says, that he who um, serves me, let me see if I can, yeah, anyone who serves me must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And I could read over that and miss the fact that I am with Jesus in mm. that, like that he doesn't send me out by myself, um, that he is intimately connected to me in that service. And so here we have not just a model of a servant, that Jesus came to serve to the point of death for us, that ultimate service we don't just model that but that that service is so applied to us and that we're so connected with it that we're doing that with him and not by ourselves and so I just think man that makes such a difference uh, to be yoked to Christ in that way um, it's encouraging to me uh, with our service and to know Lord not only can I look at your service to me and find great delight in that but I can delight in service with you and uh, yes, sweet to think yes. about that. Well, ladies, I could sit around this table a lot longer than this and talk to y'all about these things. It was really an encouragement to me. So both Sarah and Ann, thank y'all. I've really enjoyed this too. Sarah and Ann, thank you for talking with Amber and me today. Listeners, if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests today, check out our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study, FPCA, or find us on Instagram at First Pres Augusta Women. We'd love for you to join us again in two weeks. Take us to grab a cup of iced coffee or to the laundry room to switch loads. We'll be talking with Asher Allen and Debbie Fredenberg about what it means to be a worshiper of God and a citizen of heaven. Hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises 
the Christian wife she sings It is the Lord who rises With healing in His wings When comforts are declining He grants the soul again A season of pure shining To cheer it after the rain 